0: I
1: just want to clarify, your views on this podcast does not represent the views of Just the pile. Just want to <laughs> drop that in there. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, always good to have that disclaimer in.
1: Hello Phoebe, and uh, thank you for finally coming on my podcast.
0: Hello Josh, it's been a while coming.
1: Yeah, we're, um, we're going to admit today we're both a bit tired. We've had, a, we've had, a, we've had a full day out on the streets. Um... I don't know. How's how, how's your day been?
0: Really great. Um, today has been the first uh, day of week 13 um, of our slow marching campaign um, which has been going on since uh, April, since 24th of April and this week is really exciting because we've been managing to keep up the doing these marches day after day, week after week by splitting the country into regions and then each region takes it in turns travelling down to London for a week of marching but this week is different. And exciting because people from every region around the country have come down to London for a week of massive disruption and marching. Um, so it's been good, but I am exhausted. I've been up since 5 am and I've been called a wanker. Um, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, quite tired now.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm actually really jealous that um, I've been unable to go to these slow marches. I wish I could come all week as well to every single day. I think if I had. Um, if I was allowed to go all to London and protest, I think I'd just move to London permanently and just slow march every single day. So I'm a bit jealous, to be honest.
0: It's the thing keeping me here, the, like, activism in London. Like, other than that, who would want to live somewhere, like, dirty and smelly and noisy and crowded and lack of green spaces? There's what great, massive park we're sat in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just an endless concrete jungle, basically. Yeah. Um, oh, God, I'm actually, I'm, actually, I'm actually exhausted right now. Um, Today was rough on it. Like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad actually. We didn't get much violence, but um, it was definitely long.
0: Yeah, they're, they're very long days up at like 5 a.m. And then this is the first moment we've had a chance to sit down and open a can. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's what, 4 o'clock? So a very long day. <laughs>
1: um, I guess the obvious question is like, so you got involved. Sorry, when did you get involved in Just a Pile?
0: Uh, Last August, um, and I guess I had a slightly uh, not so conventional uh, route to getting involved because most people go to a talk, they kind of hear the truth about the climate crisis that we're not um, usually told, and then they hear the social science and what we're going to do about it. I never had that. I signed up online, um, and I think it was just because something broke in me. Mm -hmm. um, And I signed up online and went straight in pretty hardcore i had three arrests in my first week took on two crown court cases um and have just been giving it my all ever since
1: so like what drove you to do that then
0: i think it was because i've i've being 21 i've, I've grown up most of my life feeling quite environmentally aware or, or or hearing about the climate crisis um or rather they would have called it climate change or Global warming and those little like nuances in language um, and, the, and the way we were taught it in school. You know, we're, we're taught about the climate crisis in, in the most insane ways. In GCSE Geography, you're taught the pros and cons of the climate crisis, like cons. Um, uh, crop failure and, and more heat waves and, and floods and droughts and storms and, and worldwide famine and mass displacement of people. Pros. We can grow wine in the UK, and, and the kids, <laughs> the kids can play outside in February. Um, so of course, all of this just led me to believe there was it was this far off threat that I wouldn't have to worry about because the people in charge, the grown ups, were sorting it all out for me. Um,
1: can I tell you what? So I I was following climate change for a number of years, but I was also seeing the price of solar power like falling. So, I was looking at a graph, like solar power is falling, coal staying constant. So that means solar power will pass by coal, and capitalism will solve all our problems. Then, well, basically, you know, once uh, green energy comes cheaper than fossil fuels, the entire economy will just switch. But then, obviously, once that happened, and it turns out that our government subsidises fossil fuels to make them even cheaper to distort the market, and basically, you know, distort the market and make it so fossil fuels keep going because they're more profitable. That was quite a shock to me, um, for me it was more like, um, I guess I came across a climate crisis and I was just like, what the fuck, like what the actual fuck, like this cannot be real, and I actually spent more like time like researching the science behind it and um, and the IPCC report and I was like, no, this can't be real, so I carried on researching and carried on going, and the more I read, the more horrified I became, um, and I came across a extinction rebellion, and and did a, did, I did like a bit of a march with them, and didn't really achieve anything. And then I got introduced to Insulate Britain, which is where I thought you know what, shutting down the M25 continuously might work. Um, so, you said you was uh, environmentally aware from a young age. Like, when was your like when would you say you became aware of say climate tipping points? for example
0: tipping points um one of those words that was like thrown about that i didn't really know what it meant um and another one of those things that i thought was being taken care of because it was being spoken about um so so calmly the way that these politicians you know full well the future we're heading towards speak about it um uh, but when i really got clued up on on the science and I, I started doing my own research, maybe similar to around 18 um, or a bit before, and that's when I went vegan. That How old I, are you now? 21, Okay. Um, just before, uh, 18, when I was 17, just before my 18th birthday, I turned vegan. And that's when I started um, writing to my MPs and signing petitions and going on traditional marches because I think I had this sense of, well, I'm just 18, it's not my responsibility to do something about it. Um, And I still didn't have a sense of the the urgency. Um, And I looked at Extinction Rebellion, and I really admired people's bravery getting arrested and um, the sacrifice they were making, putting their civil liberties on the line. But I looked at it and said, I made the excuses. I made the excuses that so many of us make for so long. Oh, I'm still doing my A-levels. I shouldn't be the one to get arrested. Oh, but then I want to go to university because that's what I was always promised to me. That this was, you know, mm-hmm. you, you you get your education, then you go to university and then you, you, you get your job and you can have this future and you can have your family and your kids. People my age don't get that. But at 18, I was still convinced that-
1: People are still getting that, by the way. Like people, like most people, like, I said our age. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm like nine years older than you. But people like in you know, our age bracket are still playing to have families and kids and futures and jobs and things, and they're just not really clicking at the fact that how fucked their future's going to be. Like,
0: well, they're trying for it, but they're not going to get that future they were promised. And I, I'm more grateful now that I've snapped out of th- this lie that we're looking at the reality, even though it's a heartbreaking one. Because then you can start doing something about it but you know most of the people i speak to my age still believe they're going to get that still believe that they can have their their two kids and their dream job and their kids will be fine you know i speak to people my age and they say but it's not going to affect me it will affect my <laughs> grandchildren
1: yeah say so, uh, yeah exactly and i go like well actually you're wrong about that so yeah
0: is it it's already affecting us here just people don't see it
1: I, I, when people say that to me, well, it won't affect me. I tend to explain that, well, I, first of all, I explain the methane and the permafrost tipping points and the retreating Arctic ice, and I've explained all these things in the podcast before, so I'd have to go over them again, but basically, all the tipping points. And I explain, I said to them, do you know what exponential growth means? Like, and for those that you don't know, it means so you go faster and faster and faster, and before you know it, you're like a rocket going straight up. Like, we are looking at exponential heating of the planet, um... And then people tend to go quiet after that. They don't have anything to say.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny, I, I invited quite a lot of, when I was still at uni, quite a lot of uni friends to a talk, um, a Just Stop Oil Welcome talk. And afterwards, I still got people saying to me, yeah, but Phoebe, I've got an essay due this week. And I was just like, I don't know how you can sit through the same talk that I've just, just sat through. I was just telling you all of those dreams that you had for yourself, they don't stand a chance unless you fight for them now. Like, it's so much to take in, and and I think particularly for young people, it's, it's... There's a lot more grief to come. There's a lot of grief happening around the world that we don't see in the UK because we're economically developed and because we won't see the worst effects of the climate crisis first. But I think me and young people are already grieving for this life we were told we could have. There isn't an option for us anymore. I feel like that's already grief.
1: You see, I have this, um, I have this constant dilemma in my head, where it's like, do I st- try and stand up in defence of life on Earth and try and safeguard the future for everyone coming? or do I use what little time's left of this stable climate and stable economic system to live my life and I kind of want to do both like I kind of want to get to the point where it's like just past the point where it's like unretrievable but just before the point where the entire human civilization begins to break down like a Mad Max situation um yeah I still want to do my travelling I'm not going to lie like um that's one of the my travelling is one of the things that I've, I've I've put on hold for the climate crisis um like, I was planning to... Before I got involved in Extinction Rebellion and then in South Britain, I was saving up planning to go backpacking around Southeast Asia. And that whole dream is just on hold right now. Just per... but not permanently. Hopefully not permanently, but it's on hold. Have you got anything... Have you, have you, what, what have you got on hold for the climate crisis?
0: Uh, my, my, my biggest dream was to have kids. Um, and I never wanted... Biological ones, I wanted to adopt or foster. Um, you can still do that. I worry with a with a criminal record and not stable finances um, that might not even be an option. Um, uh, do you reckon that, the
1: criminal record will stop you from adopting? Because that, that's something I'd like to do in the future as well. And I've got a criminal record as well now. So, like, do you reckon that'd really stop us from adopting?
0: I worry that it will. You know, I think I think we're we're looking at. I think I think one of one of the things I'm I'm grieving is a sense of being able to have a plan. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't I don't know. Will that stop me being able to adopt? Like, will, like, at the point where I thought I might want to have kids, will will will, will we have enough of a society to have adoption? Like, we're looking at societal collapse.
1: Think about this way, right? If if society collapses there will be a lot of orphans like I'm pretty sure you could just walk down the street and pick up a couple of kids who were like starving to death like hey, kids do you want do you want a parent
0: I, I have no doubt that there will be so so many children in need of care and love and parenting um, that we won't even be able to take them all in all of us who wanted kids or wanted to adopt and who now can't I'd rather I'd rather those kids never <laughs> to suffer even if I get to pick them up <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, I mean, kind of wish, so you've got an in your chips, uh, kind of wish that um, this wasn't a situation, you know, the climate crisis wasn't a situation that we we're in, you know? A part of me sometimes actually wishes I was born 30 years earlier, you know, maybe even 50 years earlier, because you could drive around in your V8 cars and burn any fossil fuels and fly all over the world and... You don't know about climate change you don't have to feel guilty about anything you know what I mean you just kind of get on with it
0: funnily enough though i don't think there are that many dreams i've put on hold really for this like i've, I've dropped out of uni to do this full time and i was doing a degree in a subject that i loved but that wasn't going anywhere i didn't have a vocation um so i don't feel like i've given much up i actually feel like my life is richer and fuller and happier and more surrounded by by love and joy and support than it has ever been in my entire life and i think that's a real testament to the community that we're building here because all of us are looking constantly at the scariest fucking thing you could ever be looking at the reason so many people don't acknowledge just how serious the climate crisis is is because it's a form of self-defense it is so big and so scary what we are heading towards. We can't comprehend it. We can't feel that fear all the time. It's too much. We shut down. Like, soft denial is a form of human survival. And all of us are looking at this 24-7. And it's really hard and it takes a lot out of you. And it's, it's emotional work. And I never thought I'd have such a stressful life, age 21. I never thought I'd go to prison. But despite all of that, I'm happier, genuinely, than I've ever been. Second that. Yeah, in my entire life. It's mad. And it's because I'm surrounded constantly by the most beautiful, brave and brilliant people. And they, they, they've become my best friends and my family. And I constantly feel feel like I'm, I'm pushing myself. I've become a braver person. I've become a better person. Yeah.
1: Um, do you want to join us? Yeah, so what you were just saying then about the way it's changed your life being in these communities, it's all right, It really is mind-blowing because for the first time in my life, I've got a sense of real purpose. Like, I know I'm doing something actually meaningful with my life. Like, and more than that, like, you meet so many amazing people. Like, I've... See, for the people who watch this podcast all the way through, I'm going to be like a, a broken record now. But like, you know, like, the people in Insulate Britain. When I was in Insulate Britain, there was like 25 people in a house going out, blocking the M25 three days a week, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, like on repeat for months. And I'm in these houses, these safe houses, and I had a realization one day, which was every single one of these people in this house is a fucking legend. Like there is not even one single exception. Like You've got twenty odd people in this house who are willing to go to prison, who are willing, you know, to get arrested, to to get criminal records. The fucking bravery! Like and the thing is, like, in Insulate Britain, there was there wasn't even a single fucking exception. Like everyone who was there was hardcore as fuck. I was just like I actually fell in love with them all. You know what I mean? It was so fucking awesome. Like it's incredible.
0: I wish I'd been there for Insulate Britain. Um. But I think we we have that now too. It's and it's it's great with the slow marching, seeing it opening up to a wider community. Because you're right, that is the hard, that is people who are willing to give their everything when you sign up and say, "I'll get arrested three three times a week until I go to prison." That is hardcore. But that that's not an option for everybody, you know. Being able to just put everything in your life aside like that, and part of why. I've been able to take the action I have is because of the privilege I enjoy. I'm, I'm, I'm white, I'm female presenting, and I'm middle class-like. I feel a greater responsibility to take the action I have mm. because so many do not have the privilege I've had to be able to take this action. And I think we are those of us who, particularly with the new powers coming in under the Public Order Bill, which are going to disproportionately affect already oppressed groups makes me feel that, that moral duty even more keenly. And it's great with the slow marching that it has opened this community up to people who cannot put themselves in a position of, of, of arrest, either because we have a criminally unjust criminal justice system or for, for personal reasons, it's just not possible or safe for everybody. And now there is a way that these people can take action with Just Stop Oil and, and become a part of this beautiful community.
1: Without getting arrested or getting on criminal record as well. We say that, but then again... There was nine people arrested Nine people arrested today who didn't want to get arrested. That's just the police being knobs. Um, yeah, talking about, um, you know, privileges, It's I think it's important for us to recognise when we do have privileges. Um, over the last year, I, I've been recognising my own privileges, like I'm tall, I'm white, I'm a man, I'm straight. Like I kind of got all the privileges. Um, but it's about acknowledging that... Uh, <laughs> well i wish i had some money but uh, um it's about acknowledging, well part of it is acknowledging your privileges and then using those privileges to do something meaningful like i've been arrested 26 times at this point i've done time in prison you know and i probably be, if i was if i was black i will probably would have been treated a lot worse than i would be being white so we're not i'm, I'm so i'm not going to stand there and say to a black person, like, you know, why, why are you not doing this? Why are you not getting arrested? Why are you not joining us? You know, because it's not the same... They don't get the same treatment that we do. And I think if you're watching this and, you know, you're a privileged person with a good background and family will take care of you, and you're looking at the climate crisis thinking, what can you do? Get into the resistance. Come and join us. Now is the time to do that shit.
0: Even if you haven't got a family that will look out for you, like, none of my family... Well, my mum actually... My mum has gone through a huge journey. My mum kicked me out after my first GSO action and yesterday called me to say that she watched a recent debate I did and has signed up to Slow March. So, one, I would say, don't give up on your family, even the people who see... Your mum? My mum has gone from, <laughs> from last August kicking me out when I said I joined Just Stop Oil to signing up to Slow March now. So, the one thing would be, don't give up on those, like, family members who, or the people you think you're going to disappoint or who will hate you. Don't give up on them. And if your family will reject you, mine did for a long time, you're coming into a family, like the the love- A big one. Yeah, a big one. Um, I probably shouldn't say better, but yeah, it's better. (laughs) It
2: is pretty awesome. Yeah, can I hold hold it? Yeah, I think because you find yourself in a situation, once you educate yourself on the client emergency properly, and you know the heartbreaking facts and the truth that we're all facing, you find yourself quickly, being quite alienated and a black sheep from your family and loved ones and that's happened that's happened to me and I know it's happened to a lot of people in JSO and that can be really hard and you end up finding yourself full of like frustration and anger towards people that you love and you've known your entire life but like the beautiful thing is it's like but when you come back from you know seeing your friends and your family you you come and see your JSO family and there's your place and you're no longer the black sheep you're no longer alienated you're no longer the crazy person in the room you many crazy people in the room. Well, you feel crazy, but really everyone else around you is actually crazy because they're, we are trying to save the world as we know it and everyone else around us isn't. And if you write on paper, the people who aren't trying to save the world are crazy compared to the ones that are. But right now, the society we live in, the cultures we live in, we are deemed the crazy ones, which I'm completely fine with for now. But I would like a few more comrades. You know?
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, what, was you, what you were saying about being, you know, once you really get into the climate movement and you have your eyes opened and you're surrounded by people who give a shit, who are willing to do something about it, it changes your whole life. Like, like you can be in a room with all of your friends from from university or or whoever, even known your entire life, and you can feel like you're completely alone. Like you're in the room and you've talked about them to the climate, cri- you've talked about your friends to the climate. Cl- sorry, you've talked to your friends about the climate crisis several times, and you you just know they just don't care. I don't want to hear about it. And you just sat there, and it's like, for example, you'll see a news article that says seven of the hottest days in a hundred thousand years have been in the last week, and you just like, well, if I tell my friends or family, they won't care. And you can just, it. it thing is, I want to, I want to still be in a civil resistance, but I feel like there's, there's a, there's a point at which when you push through, you can never come back. Like once you've like, seen that side of it. You, you can't come back anymore you can't unsee the truth and you can it can leave you with a sense of feeling very alone um, especially if you're not constantly around JSO people like um, like myself I've got like JSO people in Manchester but I spend the majority of my time around normal friend normal non-JSO friends and family and I just feel, feel like I can't um, can't express myself properly around them. I feel like you want to say something. You can see.
0: It. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like the climate crisis is uniquely unifying in a way that other movements for social change should have been, because it always affects everybody in society. But but haven't been. You know, like civil rights, um, white people were able to sit on the sidelines and and almost go, well, this this will never affect me. Um, it always affects society wider society but but with the climate crisis it's it's coming for us all it doesn't matter if you're in the 1% right now like you can ta- you can dodge your taxes you can't dodge a wildfire coming to burn down your home you can't dodge crop failure Wait, meaning you, have a you, second can't, home. you can't dodge crop failure meaning you can't feed your children like the 1% may be protected for a bit longer but even the people who are straight, cis, white well-off men it's coming for you too and it it it, un- it changes the way you're thinking about all the messages society gives you. The climate crisis, because you know that there is this terrifying thing looming in the future, in the near future, like in our lifetimes. All of us are going to see things get really bad if we don't take action now. All of us are going to see grief and suffering, suffering and death on a scale which is which is just unimaginable in our lifetimes and that's why it's so hard to go back into these spaces where people aren't acknowledging that because it it changes your entire outlook on
1: life it kind of fucks your head up as well to be honest like (laughs) being around people it's like you you start to question like am i crazy am i I insane like
0: i guess if i was just believing some guy who stood up in a talk and told me these things then yeah maybe but you look at the science and you look at the people who are calling for the same thing we are the united nations the international energy agency the intergovernmental panel on climate change all of the world's leading experts all of these internationally respected scientific and political bodies are all saying the same things as us and that's the moment where i really start to go are we crazy what's crazy where where is all this madness in society when all of the experts are saying the same thing and we're still following down this path of self-destruction. Um money, corruption, greed, power tends to be what it comes back to.
1: I um I've been doing some thinking recently and some talking on the podcast about the system that we're in and how it's completely incapable of dealing with the situation. Like we have like a short election cycles partitions are bought out by massive corporations etc etc
0: did you see did you see last week rishi sunak or, or at the end of june rishi sunak literally admitted and boasted that a fossil fuel funded think tank drafted the new public order bill or some of the amendments for the new public order bill the fo- and he and he, he stands there and he admits it this corruption is so in our face; it's almost like we're so close to it we can't see it. It's bizarre. It's,
2: I think it's like I think it's more of like it's become the new normal. And I think like good old Boris set the standards so low for like politics in the UK. It's like people are just used to politicians lying and letting us down and not doing their jobs, and it's just become normal. And it's just like I think, the, I think one of the most frustrating things about most frustrating thing about like civil disobedience is it comes down to people like there's power in the people like if everyone is country united the government couldn't do a damn thing there's not many governments that could do anything but it's about winning those people over and convincing them that you know this isn't the way and there's a better way and you know building up that confidence and strength to take action which isn't easy and it is hard but it's just like it's so important for people to realize it's like you are powerful it's like alone like your cries aren't heard and you're weak but together you know your cries are heard and you're strong and you can achieve things Mm. and it's just trying to get that across to people and you know i don't want people to march us every day just give us a couple of days you know that's all we need show the government that the people are behind us hand out some leaflets yeah exactly and then we never have to actions and we just lobby the government like the oil companies but instead of with money we're lobbying with action you know, that's the goal. That's what we want, and that's how we'll bring change. And it's like, it's interesting because I've had like new bees come to me and say, "Oh, is capitalism the problem? So if we do a capitalism, we can sort out the climate emergency." I'm like, 100%. I'm anti-capitalist. I hate it. But we don't have time to completely rechange system. We have to play with the cards that we've been given, save the world as we know it, and then break down the system that's been, you know, dominating our culture, our societies for so many years, and start afresh But We don't have time to start fresh. We have to, like, stop oil and gas, stop the climate emergency and then bring great change or more great change. And it's like, I wish it could happen quicker and I wish we did have time to take on capitalism because I would love to do nothing else. But unfortunately we don't, so it's like, it's about prioritising, you know? It's like, I had a bee said to me today, it's like, oh, what happened if, you know, we got our demands and the world started, you know, doing a green transition and just one and, you know, the planet as we know was saved. I'd be like, yeah, that's great. I would move on to another cause. Like, that's it now. Like what's next? Palestine actions or, you know, equal rights for trans or men and women. Like there's so many other causes to fight for. And it's like, I've kind of made a decision to myself. It's like, that's it. I'm an activist for the rest of my life now. It'll always be something to fight for.
1: See, I, I, I disagree with you on that. Like, I'm purely in here for the climate crisis. Like, <laughs> like all those other problems, that's a, that's a serious problem, but it's not the end of the world, you know. This is the end of the world. Like, like I feel like if we had, if just the pile had the demands met, there would be another climate movement. Look okay. at Now we want massive infrastructure and wind turbines. Now we want. Now we want uh, insulating homes. Now we want all these other things. Like, I feel like there's there'd be there'd be several like. Even if we like got our demands met, like we need to start the largest rewilding project of nature that there has ever been seen in the history of mankind. Like we need to replant all the rainforests. We need to replant all the like kelp forests in the oceans. We need to. We need to. Every single street basically needs to be halved into a one-way street. Bring back the marshes. And bring back the marshes. Um, we need to protect massive areas of fishing zones, like no fish zones for like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, you know, maybe not hundreds of thousands, but thousands and thousands and thousands of square kilometres square kilometers of ocean, like no fish zones. Like, There's a list, as long as you're on, of things that still go against like solving the climate emergency. I feel like if we actually solved the climate emergency and we actually <laughs> sorted this shit out, I'd like, right, guys, I'm out. I'm I'm going to travel in the world, I'm going to sail in the world, I'm going to live my life. Um,
2: well, it's like I'm sure people have heard the saying, it's like it's easier to picture the world and imagine the world ending than the end of capitalism. But it's like if it's like when we win and we, we beat oil and gas, that's gonna be an example of like look, look what we've done, and like we actually can bring great change and we don't need those wankers in number ten and down the street. It's like we can do it ourselves and this is how we do it. And then once we win Hopefully the next cause and the cause after that will be easier because we've got the momentum. We've got the people. We've got the confidence, you know We've got reputation, you know, so When
0: we're heading towards a state where Hundreds of lawyers have said we're gonna see the breakdown of law and order at 1.5 degrees Tell me at that point that that violence and hate crimes aren't gonna get worse and tell me that, that when society is is collapsing and there isn't enough food on the shelves and and people's homes are burning down in wildfires and floods tell me that the oppression of the state isn't going to get worse we are already seeing that the climate crisis is making the oppression of the state worse in terms of the new powers that they're bringing in and the way they affect different groups differently um so that's why i i said all other all these other things that i care about have to be put on pause we've tackled the climate crisis because none of the other things i care about stand a chance unless we fight this
1: so a, a good analogy i heard a while back is if you imagine uh, all the different um, movements and causes like um uh, black Lives matter trans rights um and all the different injustices in our world there's quite a lot of them imagine they're all items on a table right and the climate earth's stable climate is the table like, if you go around fixing all these other issues which need to be fixed and I'm not denying it to be fixed and and don't fix the climate problem when the table breaks and falls over, everything on the table falls off the table, hits the floor and smashes like it's kind of like the issue that everything else relies on in my opinion
0: yeah and and it's not just um it's not just people, I think people was what I got into it for because i couldn't bear seeing all of this suffering and injustice in the world but think of all the beautiful life that we, we we share this this home with all of the animals and plants and the species that we are we are making extinct by the day how dare we how dare we do this to all other life on earth
1: we um uh, so i was reading a wonderful book uh was in prison called wilding uh, i'm not sure if you've read it have you read that i haven't read it but somebody else i was in prison with
0: was reading it in prison <laughs>
1: okay well brilliant book but it talks about the natural the decline of nature over a few centuries and because it takes place over a few centuries it's not very noticeable over one lifetime like every generation judges thinks nature is supposed to be like it was when they were a child but if you're born, if like if nature's going like this and you're born like when it's already halfway declined, you think that's normal. And then your grandchildren are born when it's like even more declining and then they think that's normal. Like even as human beings, we can't appreciate the full decline of nature. But this book really clarifies it. It's like, you know, like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, like every single lamppost had swarms of flies around them. Like, Thick with like neat like like the biodiversity was like way higher than it is now. And I don't know where I'm really going with that, but it just kind of shows the decline in nature, and people aren't really noticing, to be honest.
2: Uh, I think it also comes down to like I've spent my entire adulthood life questioning the world that I live in and the wrongs that I've either you know seen or witnessed, same thing, um, or heard about. And when I, when I talk about it to people, one of the most frustrating things I get in response is that's life. And it's like, who said that's life? Like, if you look around us, like everything, m- most things in our life right now is man-made. So if it's man-made, it could be undone by man. So it's not life. It's a life that's been created for us, but it isn't life, you know? It's like, we can't compare ourselves to most of the animals because our lives are so abstract compared to theirs you know and it's it's about changing your way of thinking and questioning the world around you because it won't take you long to get fucking angry because there's so much shit going on and there's so much wrong and it's like i want i encourage people to question things and you know push the norm and take a step off the beaten track because the beaten track is not just dreadfully boring but it's just a kind of a way of conditioning you as well you know like my family my loved ones they're conditioned and to a point where they're just accepting all this and just going on the normal days, and that's not how it should be. It's like, if you hear that your, your future and, you know, your immediate future, 1.5 could be here before 2030. It's like, when you hear that, it's like, you're in danger, so you take action, instead of instead of standing there and going, oh, that's life. It's like, it's fight or flight, and there's nowhere to run away from the climate emergency, so you only have one option, is to fight, you know? Um,
1: you know, I kinda wanna ask you a question now, like, um, so, you know, obviously you did the, um, the suit for an action and I can imagine your life got pretty fucking crazy after that, right? Like, the amount of media attention you got, like, I want to kind of ask, like, what was that like? Like, one minute you decide, yeah, I'll go do this. I know, I know what it's like cause I've done it myself. Like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything for it takes. I'll go do this culture action. And then the next thing you fucking know, like, the whole fucking world knows who you are. You're just like, what the fuck? What was that like for you? Fucking
0: bizarre, mate. Like, when, when we came out, we'd, we'd been in custody for just over 30 hours. We had no idea what, what had happened. My first, I guess, experience of it was the police, when they released Anna and I, said, you've pissed a lot of people off. Um, we think you might be in actual danger. And we know that you guys don't like us, but you need to call us if you think you are in danger. I was just like, whoa. I had no idea. I had no idea anything that had happened. And we came out and my friend and Anna's partner was there to meet us. And they said, you've got 50 million views. And I was like, oh, thank you for making me feel better after my 30 <laughs> hours of custody. As if I've got 50 million views. And we're sat outside the courthouse. And people start coming up and asking Anna and I for selfies. And we were like, you weren't joking. You weren't joking, um and then a reporter came up and we did we did our first interview and um, passing a bottle of whiskey back and forth between each other because we'd just come out of custody been handled a bottle of whiskey we were like we're still these nobody knows who we are it doesn't matter if we're drinking whiskey in an interview um <laughs> and my life just it's it's something I was completely unprepared for um and I don't want to sound ungrateful because I've had these amazing opportunities come out of it. Things that are like, wow, this 21 year old two time dropout with pink hair is doing these things like going and speaking on the news and being on the telly. And I did an Intelligence Squared debate the other day, which is bonkers because I used to listen to those. So it's amazing. There's all these great opportunities that have come out of it. Um, but equally, it's not not what I ever, ever wanted. I'm a I'm an action person, and I didn't quite realise that I was suddenly going to be a media person. Mm-hmm. Um, I said that I never wanted to do any interviews. I said I'd rather go to prison than do spokes before that action. Um, and now I've done both. Um, I can confirm some days in prison were easier than just a five-minute interview. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, it's, it's been mental and a complete shift in in my life i think i'd be just as dedicated anyway but i'm definitely now l- intrinsically linked to just stop oil um some bits of it are really lovely you know being I,
1: a i just want to clarify your views on this podcast does not represent the views of just Stop Oil. just mm-hmm. want to drop that in there
0: hey <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> um, always good to have that disclaimer in um but there are some moments where it feels amazing, like like being at the lunch today after the March um, and I have people come up to me and say, I signed up after I saw what you did. And that feels amazing. That feels like everything is worth it. But then in some ways, I feel like it doesn't matter what they f- find me in court. I've, I've served my sentence with the media attention. Like it doesn't get worse than that. They can throw I, they can throw me in prison as long as they like. I don't think it will get worse than than um, the, the impact on my life that media attention has had.
1: I'm going to take a small break whilst to go and pee in that bush. Um, and we're back. Sorry about that, I had to go. Uh, so, how did your family respond? You know, it's like, 50 million fucking views, like... Did your mum, like, fucking, like, have a small heart attack when she saw that? Like, how did your family respond to... Like, you said, like... Your family almost disowned you for, say, you joined just a How did they fucking react when they saw, like, you, like, with 50 million views, like, all over the internet?
0: Um, small heart attack is definitely an understatement. Um, they, they, they weren't happy, um, but I think particularly from my dad and my brother both had... Uh, reporters outside their houses my dad for for two days afterwards like camped outside his house and he kicked me out when I was 18 so like I haven't lived there for for years I didn't have too like too much contact with him before then anyway Um, so for them it it's had a huge impact on their life which was completely unconsensual to them and like my dad is a climate denier so he can't even begin to understand why I'm doing this and suddenly it's it had impacts on him in, in his home and in his work and so they were really they were really angry and upset and now I can see why. I think immediately I was so hurt because I got I had members of my family telling me that I wasn't family anymore and that they would never speak to me again. Um now i can see why they said those things because it was this huge impact on their lives which they had no idea was coming and which they never even began to agree to
1: hmm. what's it like having um a dad who doesn't believe in climate change uh the rare occasions that we do see
0: each other we um we we attempt to make pleasant conversation and try and avoid this big elephant in the room that he doesn't believe in the climate crisis and i have dedicated my whole life and my freedoms and my civil liberties to tackling the climate crisis that must
1: be so infuriating for you
0: talk about cognitive dissonance like it's mad
1: that's got to be like really like i I can just imagine myself being in that position that must be really infuriating like like
0: I think it was quite radicalising. Like he's like he's like the poster child for for the conservatives. Um, so I think it was quite radicalising having such hard line beliefs that I wasn't gonna get. Actually, I was indoctrinated by those for quite a while. I was brought up in this little Tory sphere, and the moment somebody showed me a way of thinking outside of it, I leapt at it.
1: Um, How old was that?
0: Uh seventeen when I met my ex and then particularly when when my dad kicked me out and I moved in um, with them and their mum who's um, very environmentally aware and engaged a lot in civil resistance in the 80s fighting for queer liberation and, like, seeing the absurdity of my dad's beliefs plus her way of... a different, more loving way of seeing the world and her experience of actually taking direct action was, like, the perfect perfect recipe for me being willing to take um take non-violent direct action
1: so phoebe like before the age of 17 i can imagine would be a completely different person
0: very very different had long brown hair I looked very straight very prim and proper wouldn't have broken any rules
1: and now we've got a rebel on our hands yeah <laughs> <clears throat> Well, that's 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 really interesting here about the family background. How does your your mum feel about the whole climate thing? Does she, does she acknowledge that it's a problem?
0: She does now. Clearly, have, like signing up Slow March, and I think when I went to prison it opened up a lot more conversations with my family because it wasn't just like oh you want to be like rebellious and cool and like you want to be an uh, an Instagram star and get your 15 minutes of fame and you're just being young and rebellious and stupid to the point of me going to prison and when I spoke my dad wouldn't speak to me whilst I was in prison but my mum would and I always sounded really calm speaking to her. I never was crying going oh i can't believe i've ended up in prison i don't want to be here i didn't want to be there but i felt i had to be there and i felt completely at peace being there and i think she heard that and that then meant we were able to have those calm conversations about why i needed to be there and obviously it didn't sink in straight away i've been out of prison for eight months or something how long was he in prison only a month, not not quite as long as you, but it was on, it was on Roman, you were on Roman too. Um, yeah, for, for the terrible crime of being sat in a car on the M25. Um,
1: well, they suspected you were trying to climb a gantry, right?
0: Can neither confirm nor deny.
1: <laughs> no, you was have no planned to do that. Anyway, next subject. <laughs> um, I guess um, I'll tell you, like, when my... Um, when I first told Mum to join I'm so going to get arrested and go to prison probably. She was like, Oh my god, Josh, you need you need to get your you need to think about your future. And I'm like, Yeah, I'm I'm definitely doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, No no no, no, you don't you don't get what I mean. You don't get what I mean. You need to get your priorities right. And I'm like, Yeah. Yep, yeah, definitely got that definitely got that right. And I think like with my mum, she was um I'm sorry if you're watching this and I'm talking about you on a podcast, but uh, it's going to happen eventually. Um, She, basically, like, it started off as like a fad. I remember her saying to me once, like, oh, once you're done with that thing, you're going to go into another thing, and you're going to go into another thing, and it's never going to end. I was like, no, the climate crisis doesn't have an end point, like, and it is like, like I said, for me, it's, it's different to you, but, like, the climate crisis was, like, the main reason I got into activism. Well, well it's the only reason I got into activism let's be honest um but I feel like as time's gone on and the more I've spoken to her about it and the more I've kind of talked about it like she's actually beginning to understand Like, I'll give you an example right so um uh, I mentioned on the podcast before that I found out a few weeks ago I was going to be a dad I'm not going to be a dad anymore uh that's basically the pregnancy failed uh, ectopic pregnancy anyway a long story short but yeah um, I was talking to my mom saying like I seriously I'm concerned about our future now like you know talking with the fact of a child being on the way I was thinking like you know seriously start thinking long term now like talking about this stuff with her and she I think she's actually started to get it now you know like you know when we're talking about a baby on the way like we need to seriously fucking figure shit out now and get prepared. Um, so I feel like she's starting to understand more now, but uh, she just wishes... she underst- She's come to understand, like, she understands why I'm doing it, but she just wishes it was somebody else doing it, if you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I think... Um, my my mum was the soundest, to be honest. Um, before I before I took action, arrestable action, uh, climbing a gantry N25... Um, I can say that because I actually got caught on it, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's no denying that. Um, I obviously spent uh, 36 hours in the cell or something like that, and then we came home, and then the next day I was like, right, it's time to tell of ones because, you know, there's consequences to my actions, and I need to know about it, and it's important. Um, I had a bright idea to FaceTime my dad for some reason, um, and the second I FaceTimed my dad, he went straight into all the negatives. What about your job? What about your flat? What about your future? How are you going to have money? How are you going to be able to support yourself if you're in prison? And that was quite overwhelming, and I was already in quite an emotional place. And I was just like, fair enough, old man, if you're going to give it to me, i won't give it to you. Um, so I, I went in hard. Because in all honesty, like the reason, I'm, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm with JSO, is like my like, three pillars of sadness, I call it. It's like, I'm here to safeguard my niece's future. Um, I want to stop millions of people suffering in the global south, and I want to preserve nature the, the one thing that we truly belong to and we have a place in and we should be very grateful for um, so I went hard in my dad and I told him exactly why I was doing it and got quite emotional because I was talking about my niece and I remember looking up wiping away tears and I looked at my phone screen and he was crying and I was like I've got you <laughs> and I finally I've cracked through and I was like look into it because it's serious um, he's not bothered looked into it since, but it's the start of a conversation, which is great. Um, I told my sister, and immediately she called me a twat, but only because she worries, and she completely understands why we're doing that. Um, she doesn't like the fact that I might be going to prison, but she understands why I'm doing it, and um, we've made an agreement that she will take care of my nieces present, and I'll focus on their future. And then the best one was my mum. When I told my mum, it was... Incredibly, it was almost too casual. Like I called her up and I told her that I'd just done an action and I'd been arrested and I'm looking at prison. I could be looking at prison time. And she was like, "Luke, it's fine. We know what you are like. It's okay. I need to go because I need to take you to the hospital for a cataract surgery." And that was it. Yeah. So um, I had like a mixed bag from my family and friends, all supportive but concerned and similar to you, kind of wish someone else would do it, um, but not not yet manage to inspire and take action themselves or they don't talk about it much which kind of hurts because like JSO is one of the biggest parts and the most important parts of my life now and they don't really talk about it they don't really ask me questions about it because I think out of sight out of mind which is their way of coping but I think that's just us exercising our privilege and it's like we have to have those hard conversations we have to talk about it it's fucking terrifying but one of the reasons we're in this mess is because we don't talked about it enough and people aren't terrified enough you know so Conversation is important, and there's always gonna be that like one family member. It could be an uncle, it could be an aunt, it could be your nan. Sometimes nans can be very scary. Like my nan's scary sometimes. Um, but you know, it's important to do what you do, and you know, talk to them and explain them. And if they don't get it, they don't get it. And if they do, they do. But you know, if they're if they're a good family, they'll still love you for who you are. You know. And luckily, I've lost no loved ones since doing this. Um, I have a few old friends who are police officers that we're probably not going to get on with that well anymore. But we don't really see each other anyway, so it's fine. You know, a lot of the people we talk to, I've
1: got family as well, like, that don't get it. Like, that's our main problem. Like, people not getting it. The majority of people don't get it. Like, that woman today on the street, um, she didn't get it. You know, she doesn't understand the climate crisis. She doesn't think, like, it's a big problem. And I can kind of understand where they're coming from. If you've not read on any climate science, if you've not really understood, Like I used to think like, oh yeah, climate change, it's going to get warmer. So it's going to be like Spain in the UK. That sounds fucking great. Like I'm not going to complain about that. That sounds great. And I think a lot of people in the UK uh, and the world are still thinking like that. They don't really understand the severity of the situation.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I think people think that we're like a group of tree huggers that just want to, like, protect the forest, which, I mean, we do want to protect the forest. But, you know, what we are talking about is the collapse of, of our life support systems, of our ability to feed ourselves. We're talking about the collapse of our economy and our pensions and our NHS. We're talking about the breakdown of law and order. We're talking about losing everything that we know and love this isn't like wishy-washy stuff about protecting the environment this is this is everything that we value everything that we love is under threat by this and th- th- that isn't communicated at all
1: okay
2: yeah go on, go on, go on. well no, i was going to say like communication is like one of the biggest issues that we have because it's like you know we've got to a point in society now where it's like okay climate climate change climate emergency is acknowledged. knowledge most people know it's a thing most people know it needs to change but when it's when it's put in the news and like, you know, when they mention 1.5, people that's that's a fucking number, 1.5. So people hear that and go, ooh, when you get below 1.5, and then don't think beyond it. But it's like, after you said 1.5, then mention what happens at 1.5. After saying 2 degrees of warming, then mention what happens at 2 degrees of warming. Because if you just say these numbers, they have no meaning. And they have no, they, they don't they're not they don't carry the weight. You don't get you don't get across the weight and the severity of the actual situation that we're in. And that's half the battle, and that's really frustrating. And it's like going back to what you say, people. That kind of really irritating attitude. It's like, oh, it's okay. In a couple of years, you know, things are getting warmer, but we'll just be like Spain. Spain's nice. It's like, yeah. But if we're gonna be like Spain, Spain's gonna be like Africa. And if Spain's like Africa, there's more droughts.
1: Africa's gonna be like fucking.
2: Yeah. There's there's more droughts, and 25% of our fucking fresh food products come from Spain. So where do you think that's gonna? That's not gonna come to us anymore you know because we're enjoying Spain's climate and now Spain is struggling with a new climate which is too hot for them to produce tomatoes for us so it's like it's changing the conversation it's how you word it it's how you frame it it's the most important thing and i'm just fucking sick to death of just hearing 1.5 tell me what 1.5 is because then that'll get people on the street that'll get people terrified because 1.5 is absolutely horrendous for the global south and it's still incredibly dangerous for global north because the second we get to 1.5 the the chances of these um, trigger events happening will increase because global temperatures are going up. And people aren't talking about these fucking trigger events because if a trigger event goes, it's not going to be like, oh, that's an extra 2.3 of warming over the next couple of decades. It will happen fucking quick, you know? And it's, I don't want it to get to that point because if it does, yeah, it will be a great opportunity to mobilize people, but it's beginning to the end. You know, I don't want to mobilize people in London with four feet of water. But if the Doomsday Glacier in the North Pole does go, because it's the size of California, and it is going at a scary rate, and it's now melting beneath it as well, which is terrifying, if that goes, then global um, sea levels are going up by four feet. And that's not going to happen over a couple, a couple of decades when we get ready for it. That's going to happen very quickly. And it's like we need that sense of urgency. We need people to talk about it. And it's like we need to be not the only ones pulling our hairs out, because we know how little time we have left, you know? And we get that by framing the conversation different and educating people more.
1: Onto that, um, you know, France has started the inclu- included climate change with the weather forecast. So now they'll say, they'll say, OK, it's going to be 30 degrees today, which is four degrees hotter than average, which should be this time of year. And that's because of climate change and everything they do is because of climate change. like. It's a really clever way of doing it. We should really push for that, to be honest. 100%. But a part of me feels like I'd be able to say "I told you so," but I really don't want to be in that position.
2: No
0: exactly. Um, we're we're talking about death and suffering on 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 such a huge scale, and and I feel like words like death have almost lost their meaning. You know, we talk about seeing billions of climate refugees, but as if they're just a number, when that's not, that's as millions of of families losing their homes and their safety, as millions of children starving to death, millions of people without access to drinking water, Um, and that creates worldwide ripples. There's going to be a scarcity of, of resources and that will lead to war, it's going to be crop failure that leads to famine the the entire world as we know it we're we're not gonna see any of that um i think in that space there's a certain level of climate breakdown is locked in at this point and a certain level of, of grief and suffering um and I think we're, we're in a position now where we're not just talking about stopping the climate crisis, but we're talking about if and when that level of downfall comes. I think what we're in control of now is what level of downfall, not if there is a downfall. We're locked in for climate breakdown. We still have this brief window where we can try and control how much we let the climate break down. But we're also in a window of trying to design a better society as we see that level of downfall. Like hundreds of lawyers signed that letter to say we'll see the breakdown of law and order at 1.5 degrees of warming and we are locked in for 1.5 degrees of warming. So I think we're now at this position of we, we're not, we know we're going to face the circumstances which will create a breakdown of law and order. How do we stop that happening so that we can still have can still have a society can have a better society than what we have now because so much of the oppression is is insidious like like we're seeing the climate crisis here in the cost of living crisis and people aren't connecting the dots because it's not presented to them as clearly as your energy bills could be nine times cheaper with renewables and they're not it is a choice of this government that you are suffering this cost of living crisis and it's part of the cost of oil crisis um i've gone completely off your question that you asked um what, did, what what was it what did you think we're gonna see what
1: will we see yeah as humanity what would we see
0: i we're gonna see downfall and we're gonna see grief and suffering and breakdown but one of the things i i've had faith in in life more than anything else is that there actually is more good in the world than evil and i think when we see all that grief and all that suffering, we're going to see more and more good people rising up to, and more and more people who are willing to to prove the good in humanity.
1: Well said. I, I want to just make clear to everybody: like, we talk about societal collapse and we talk about the downfall of humanity, but I want us all just to take a moment and think about what that actually means. Like, for to, to realize what that means, we just think about what what it is that's that really got value in this world. So I want you to think about, you know, a, mother, a mother's love for her child, you know? They say it's a moment, it, like, when, when, a, when a mother first holds her baby for the first time, when a, when a father first holds his newborn baby for the first time, like, the love between, like, grandparents and their grandchildren. The, the moment when a young teenage couple Fall in love for the first time, you know, young love, you know. Like, there's all these moments throughout a human life that are fucking so incredible. And I look at it as, we say we're trying to save human civilization. Okay, that sounds very out there, but a human lifetime is about important moments. You know, having your first child, having your first love seeing your children go to school like having a like it's about moments in a, in a life and we're not just talking about one life we're talking about billions of lives so you imagine those moments billions of times over that is what we're trying to save and it doesn't get like I feel like people can, you can actually relate to that because if you're a mother you've had children you know what that feels like if you everybody's had a first love you know and imagine that moment of the billions of people f- for infinity that is what we're trying to save and it for most people on the outside it doesn't really sink in like I think for climate activists it, it actually has started to sink in <laughs> that's why we've got such a mental health crisis amongst climate activists because yeah. it's quite a big thing to deal with yeah. but we really need to come to terms with the fact that what we have to, what what have we got to lose and it's a fucking lot yeah. you know like part of the reason i got into the resistance is like i imagined myself 10 years 20 years from now like looking at young families who were just having babies and they're starving and and like i bet i want to look to be able to look them straight in their eyes and say i absolutely tried my hardest to stop this like i fucking gave it my all i've made massive sacrifices in my life i went to prison you get that I went, I went to prison and you know i gave up a lot in my life like and i still don't think that'd be enough and like, we've still got the audio it's okay and i still don't think that'd be enough like i don't want it I don't want to stand there and say like, we failed. We failed, I'm sorry that we failed you. Um, yeah, there you go.
0: I don't think I can add to that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty, yeah. It's Mic drop moment. Pretty savage. Um, just gonna pause for one second, whilst I sort this out. we're back, sorry about that little interruption, the wind blew over our camera. Um, so, one thing that I realized whilst I was in prison, is that you can have the same idea conveyed in several different ways. Like there are an idea is conveyed in a combination of words, right? And there are inf- there is an infinite uh, combination of words to convey the same idea. And the way that I just conveyed that same idea, I can tell from both of your faces impacted you both in, a, in an emotional way, right? And it's the same idea you've both come across before, but it's about in my opinion finding the right words to convey that idea like how did you feel when I, explain, when I explained it in the terms of human moments that are worth saving like how,
2: how did that make you both feel uh, i'll go first it's a hard question um it made me think about my loved ones um i'm not a very wealthy person uh, traditionally i don't have a lot of money but. I do feel like a wealthy person. If someone said, point me to your wealth, that I'd point to the people in my life. That's where I get my wealth from. And I think about them and it brings a smile to my face. Uh, a good example is my niece. So when I'm on Uncle Duties and I'm spending time with her, it's the happiest I can be, you know, I'm full of joy. Um, but unfortunately, after a while, the, um, the, the facts that I know and the cold truth kind of creeps in. And, unfortunately, that kind of happiness gets replaced with sadness and despair. And it's hard, because I shouldn't feel uncomfortable being around loved ones. But sometimes I am, because I just can't help but picture their future. And it breaks my fucking heart. Um, and it's something that I have to learn to manage and deal with, and it's, it's something I'm still learning to manage. Um, I don't know if there's something I could do to make things better, just kind of... Continue with Just Stop Oil, that's my therapy and that's what kind of gets me through it and kind of is something I can direct all this negative emotion, desperation, anger and frustration towards, which really helps me kind of come away and be able to spend time with my niece and not have that weight on my shoulders because I've managed to, you know, offload it towards, you know, the cause. If it's a march or if it's a day volunteering. doing a talk you know that helps but it is hard it is hard to kind of be around loved ones and fit into normal life and just carry on like things are normal um
0: yeah i i think it's the difference between uh intellectual connection and emotional connection because intellectually you know hardcore climate deniers aren't platformed as much and most people do agree that there is a climate crisis and most people can intellectually acknowledge that people are suffering around the world um, but it hasn't hit them emotionally like if, if what happened in Pakistan last year where 33 million people were displaced in the UK you know that's three times the population of London over three times the population of London if that happened here we'd, we'd be fucking rioting we wouldn't be s- nicely slow marching down the street we'd be an uproar because you have no choice but to emotionally connect when it is your family that has lost their homes. It's your wedding photos that were destroyed in that flood. It is your child that you now cannot feed. You can't help but emotionally connect. But when you put it in that, in terms that people can connect with, connect with those moments in their own life and how they'd feel if they were lost, That's what motivates people into action. You know, most people are not bad people, aren't not out on the streets with us because they want millions of people to suffer and die. I think they're there because they don't realise the impact that their inaction has on letting that happen. And when you, see it, when you see it right in front of you, you realise if I'm not taking action against this and I'm letting it happen, but because we, we have the fucking privilege and the luxury of not seeing it before our eyes here, people think that, that, that their inaction isn't contributing to that when it is.
1: The truth is, is, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if you was aware of the climate crisis and you decided not to do anything about it, you're not going to like yourself very much. You know, you look back at all these people who took action to try and prevent it. And even if we fail, right, and even if we don't get anywhere, like, you could say to yourself, well, it was all, it was all worth us anyway. But those people who took action, like myself and you, like, you'll genuinely be able to look children in their eyes and say, I well, you wouldn't swear, but you'd say, I tried. I tried to stop this from happening and I gave it everything that I had. Like, if you're somebody who has seen, like, you was aware of the climate crisis, what are you going to say? You're going to look at them and say, well, I knew this was coming. I just didn't try. Well, You're not going to like yourself very much. And now is the moment... To, to act and even even if we have post, passed the point of no return with the climate there are still billions of lives that could be saved. I, if billions of people need to be relocated because of the climate crisis in 20 years' time, let's start moving them now. Let's get them moving ahead of time. Let's start building the hospitals and the schools and the rainwater harvesting and the solar power collection and, you know, we could still save billions of lives even if we have passed the point of no return, you know? Like, there's a lot of things that could be done. Um, so it's never too late to act. It's never too late to take action. You know, wherever you're watching this, find your local civil resistance group and sign up. Like, you don't have to be arrested. You could just give leaflets out on the street. You could book talks and and you could work behind a computer screen. Just, just literally, like, logging people's hours and shit or whatever it is you do, you know... I mean, I don't. I'm not very good at computer, playing computer screens, but you know, there's a lot of things I imagine that you could do that we need help with. You could do what I did today and just film a protest. You know, there's a million different roles for you and you know, your children and your children's children are relying on us making this change now. And if we don't make this change now, the future generations they will spit on our graves for failing them. You know, we have, we had the abundance of life on earth, sustainable weather systems, you know, agriculture, civilizations where you could, you know, do stupid shit like be an influencer and go and do, you know, do some stupid ass shit of your life. It doesn't matter because there's always food in the supermarket. You had all of that and you threw it away. So I think your children will not, your children and your grandchildren will not forgive you unless you take action now. Um, is there anything you want to say to that? Either of you?
2: Uh, I'll it, go. Um, I, imagine, I imagine a lot of people watching this podcast is already signed up, but if they're not, I would strongly... I'll, I'm begging you to um, join us at Just Stop Oil. Like, I've been where you've been. I've been as hopeless and as terrified and as lone as you are, but once I came to JSO... I found a community of people that don't just understand how I feel or feel exactly, way, way, feel exactly the same way I do. But I've got to a point where I've taken action about it and actually trying to bring good change. And it's a beautiful thing. Like I struggled to like get across how grateful I am for Just Stop Oil and the people that I've found. You know, like I have hope again. I lost hope for ages, like that was gone. And now it's back and I'm grateful for that. And I've made, I've met people that I'll know for the rest of my life, you know, regardless of what happens. So yeah, join Just Stop Oil, pick a side, join us on the roads. And if you can't do that, there's plenty of options for you, you know, just reach out and there's a place for you, for everyone.
0: Uh, I think, I think a lot of people see the, the, the fear and the rage that we act upon and and those things are are true and they're real. and I think all of us have that inside of us. But what people don't see is is the joy in resistance. Like in the community, yeah. But the feeling I get from taking action is is amazing. It's, it's like the sense of peace washes over me. And I think that peace comes from the knowing that I'm not complicit in this murderous regime and knowing that I have done everything non-violently in my power. And only when I feel like I've, done that when I've uh, there's the Mario Savio quote about putting your body onto the gears of the machine fuck that I want to throw myself at it I'm gonna throw myself at the fucking machine and it's only when I've done that that I get that sense of peace and I think that's why I felt largely quite peaceful in prison because even though I looked around I was like this is weird this is not where I thought I'd be age 21 this isn't where I I'm furious it's where I felt I needed to be age 21 but i was still at peace with it every morning that i woke up there is at peace with waking up there
1: mm-hmm. right so we've done about for about an hour now so we're going to round up um if there's anything you want to say at the end of the and if you we've had some pretty good round up speeches but if there's anything you want to say um get it in now um, you've covered everything yeah, yeah. We've, had a, we've had a pretty good round yeah. up um if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast then please consider subscribing do you think people should subscribe to my podcast
0: I think they should subscribe to your podcast and sign up at (laughs)
1: juststopoil.org. definitely definitely alright cool we'll see you next time we are the tongue that speaks the truth we are the song upon the wind we are the courage to stand forth we are the change that now begins on this good green earth We will take a stand with an open heart and a healing hand. With an open heart and a healing hand.